I'm Kat. I'm Taylor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Uh, this week we're heading back to 1930s Arizona for an unsolved mystery, which, unusually for us, despite being unsolved, does have a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, that's different. <laughs> yeah, this almost never happens. Yeah. So, without further ado, over to Taylor. June Cecilia Robles was born on June, that's appropriate, 11th, 1927, in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, She and her sister Sylvia Ann were the only children born to parents Helen and Fernando Robles. Uh, From what we can find, the two girls had a fairly unremarkable childhood, which is basically to say that uh, the there's no information about their childhood from what we can find. So seems like it's fine. It wasn't remarked upon. So that that is until 3 p.m. on April 25th, 1934, when six-year-old June Robles was kidnapped. Now, this area of southern Arizona had a hell of a reputation during the 19th century. The legendary gunfight at the OK Corral in Tombstone took place just 53 years earlier. But by the 1930s, the region thought its Wild Wild West reputation was far behind it. Apart from a small incident with John Dillinger in early 1934. (laughs) And according to the New York Times, it was becoming a kind of desert mecca for tourists and respiratory patients. Uh, That was until June was kidnapped, sending shockwaves across the country. Just imagining, like, respiratory patients with gunslingers just all in the same... (laughs) All at the same ranch, you know? I think that'd be fun. So there are many reasons why... Uh, kidnappers take children which we've covered in other episodes most uh, prominently in the Lindbergh uh, baby kidnapping episode which uh, was from last December Um, so we're just gonna do like a quick hit and run recap of that if you're if you're interested in like more depth Go check out that episode because also it's, you know, it's a kidnapping. It's similar to this one. So if you like this one, you might like that one. Um, So, yeah. So here are a couple reasons why we, why, why we, we don't, why someone would kidnap a child. You okay there? No. (laughs) Um, So uh, children are kidnapped sometimes for... Uh, trafficking reasons so like they're sold into sexual slavery or um, employment slavery or even like child armies Um, there's also unfortunately a black market for children whereas think of that as like illegal adoption uh, unsanctioned by by all really Um, so those are uh, some some potential reasons there. Yeah. And as if a black market 
for children isn't dark enough. There is also another dimension to kidnapping, uh, which is, again, children being kidnapped to be raised by someone else, but for political reasons. Um, Franco-Spain, 300,000 children were kidnapped by the state. Same in Nazi Germany, 400,000 children were kidnapped by the state to be raised by other people and to essentially have their heritage erased. Erased, yeah. Uh, same in third world con- or so-called third world countries where kids are routinely kidnapped from their homes, sold to Western couples who want to adopt a black baby or just to fill orphanages which fuel the voluntourism sector. Yes. Very grim. Yeah, very grim. Nice light start to your morning, folks. Um, yeah, so there's those and then sometimes you've also got like a more less like straight up political and more like socio-political bent to things uh which is something that we saw in the patty hurst kidnapping case uh which we have a big episode on that um episode 13 if you want to listen to that but basically in that case um her kidnappers and she was not a child that was an adult kidnapping but um her kidnappers wanted her family the very wealthy hearst family to distribute food to uh poor citizens in the san francisco bay area and so they wanted to use their power and influence in ex- uh, to to make that happen and so also they were kind of crazy but <laughs> But yeah, so that's another possibility, although I'd I'd say probably that's less common. One that we haven't talked about here, actually, that I think is the one that comes to my mind first when I hear kidnapping is like familial kidnapping or like familial child abduction, because I think statistically that's the most common form of quote unquote kidnapping. Yeah, that's that never comes to my mind. That that's <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. That's you mean like um, separated parents, and one yeah. doesn't want to deal with the courts, or one doesn't like the custody agreement, so they just take the child across state lines or whatever. Yeah. So that's like my mind never goes there. My <laughs> mind always goes to strangers. See, I've seen too many like like csi type shows where it's like well actually (laughs) this is the most common (laughs) um yeah but yeah so i think that's that's definitely something to keep in mind as well that like and i feel like generally children are more likely to be kidnapped by someone they know or abducted by someone they know than a stranger which yeah. which puts an interesting spin on the whole stranger danger thing, but uh, that's another that's another episode. Yeah. Just hours after June Robles was kidnapped, her parents received a ransom note, and therefore we must assume that June was kidnapped for the other reason that children and adults alike are kidnapped, and that is financial gain. Yeah. Um. Although. The late 1920s were full of economic decline and high levels of unemployment. June was not born into this kind of depression and uncertainty. 
So uh, June's father, Fernando Robles, was owner of the Robles Electrical Company, and her grandfather, uh, Burnaby Robles, was reportedly one of the richest citizens not just in Tucson, but in all of southern Arizona. Actually, some reports say the entire state of Arizona. Cool. Not just, I mean, most say southern Arizona, but I was listening to one earlier that says the, he was one of the richest people in, in the entire Arizona. state. Yeah, that's impressive. Especially yeah. in, like, you know, oil country mm. or, like, cattle country. So, interesting. Um, yeah, so Burnaby had emigrated with his mother to the United States from Mexico at the age of seven with just a burrow and the clothes on their backs, uh, according to the Tucson Weekly. Uh, as an adult, he would amass a fortune after investing in ranching and real estate and became known as the Cattle Baron. And June and Sylvia were heiresses to these family fortunes. Lucky them. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and as if being the descendants of the cattle baron didn't make the family prominent enough, June's uncle Carlos Robles was also the assistant county attorney for Pima County, uh, which Tucson is the county seat. June was kidnapped at three o'clock in the afternoon when she was leaving Ross Krug School. She was supposed to walk straight to her aunt's house with her cousin, who was also six years old, but she was trailing behind her cousin. Okay, this sounds crazy to me that six-year-olds were allowed to just walk home through a city. <laughs> I know this is back in the 1930s, but it's still crazy to me. I know. Like, we weren't even allowed to walk around the village on our own when we were six years old. <laughs> I mean, I was, but I think my parents were too trusting. <laughs> I think my parents were not trusting enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> Double-sided coin there. Uh, there was actually a witness who was picking her son up from school when she saw June being forced into a car against her will. But she didn't intervene because she thought it was a family matter. Great. I mean, kids do kick off when they don't want to go places. Oh, yeah. If everyone intervened every time a kid was having a temper tantrum. But... <laughs> The world would grind to a halt. Yeah, but at the same... So it is easy to judge, but at the same time, like... It's, yeah, it's hard because it's like, yeah, sometimes kids just, like, don't want to go home from school or from their friend's house. But then it's also, yeah. like, I don't know. It depends on the display, I guess. Yeah. And this is the 30s. Yeah. You know, you didn't stick your nose into anyone else's business. Yes, yeah. This is the time period we're dealing with. Uh, this witness described June as being forced into a Ford sedan by a dirty, emaciated man who wore glasses. See, that sounds suspicious. Yeah. Um, so two hours later, June's father received the first ransom note. It was delivered to him at the Robles Electrical Company by a young man named Rosalio Estrada, who had been paid 25 cents to deliver the note, which is $4.91 today. Um, that's not... Much, like, I feel like when we do these inflation calculations, it's usually, like, super shocking. But it's kind of interesting... Yeah, I mean 
But would you, if you found like a, a six or seven year old, you're like, okay, I need this this note delivered. Would you give him a fiver for it? Hell no. Here's fifty p. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I mean, not that I do that. I would shout at them and tell them to get off my lawn. But you know, yeah, you know, different strokes. I'm that kind of person. <laughs> I don't think I would have children deliver notes because I don't really trust their sense of direction, but. You know, that's true. Maybe Rosalio was like he was he knew the town like the back of his hand. And so he was he was mm. a good, good guy to put, give your note to. Who knows? Mm. Um, so this note demanded fifteen thousand dollars for June's safe return and contained instructions for the money to be delivered, um, as well as a threat against June's life if the contents of the letter were divulged to anyone. And just to keep in line with our conversions, $15,000 in 1934 would be worth $294,418.66 today. Or, for the pound sterling among us, 211,701 pounds and 74 pence. The ransomer identified themselves only as, quote, Z, like, or Z, the, le- Z. the letter Z yeah. slash Z. Z, Z if you're nasty. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> or American. What's the difference? Nobody knows. Fernando quickly scribbled a reply to the ransom note with the intention of giving it to Rosalio to return to the kidnappers, or kidnapper. Um, but by the time he'd written his reply, Rosalio was nowhere to be seen. Uh, I mean, I'd run away if I was that kid, too. I'd be like, hey, no, give me, give me more money. Yeah. It's like, I, I am not a courier, sir. I'm not a free courier anyway. Yeah. Um, and it later turned out that the boy had no connection to the kidnappers and that they had just, you know, given him the note with a quarter and told him where to deliver it. And, and he did, which... I'm sorry. If I was that kid, I would have taken the quarter and not delivered the note. I think that makes me a sh- shithead, but like... But if he'd done that, then no one would have even known that June had been kidnapped. That's true. So Because, yeah, they had like a big extended family and the kids just always went there, like to someone's house after school. Yeah. So she went to her aunt's house if her parents were working. So her parents at this point didn't actually know she was missing. That's true. So thank God... Rosalio Estrada was a better kid than I am. (laughs) Yeah. According to an article by the Tucson Weekly, which we will link below, uh, Fernando had tried not to involve the police, believing that he could negotiate with the kidnappers, as well as not wanting to anger them and put June's life at risk. But somehow the police found out that June had been kidnapped. We're not sure who reported it, but I'm guessing if your brother is the assistant district attorney or county attorney it's gonna happen yeah uh within hours of fernando receiving the ransom note they had begun their investigation word spread quickly and the following morning more than 400 men had assembled to help search every house and property in tucson which is described as being a small town rather than the you know big bustling city that it is today yeah But their search turned up no sign of June. Uh, However, at 6 p.m. on April 26th, uh, which was 
27 hours after June was kidnapped outside of her school. Uh, Z made contact again, this time through her grandfather, the cattle baron Burnaby Robles. Uh, the second note assured Burnaby that June was safe and said that they would reduce the ransom to 10000 Nice of them. Yeah. <laughs> Just discounts if you wait longer. <laughs> um, they once again specified a strip of public highway outside of Tucson where the exchange was to take place. But when Burnaby attempted to deliver the money, nobody showed up to collect it. Which is just bad kidnapping. Uh, following this failed attempt at an exchange, June's uncle Carlos took charge of the search and secured a search plane to scour the desert outside of Tucson in what was called, quote, the greatest manhunt ever staged in the West. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, the group also searched old mine shafts and cave networks where outlaws of years past had been known to hide out. And the authorities set up a tip line and more than 100 tips came in uh, during the first five days, but none of them uh, shone any light on June's location. On April 28th, three days after June was taken, the owner of the Deluxe Cafe near Far Tuachuca, which is about 90, uh, 90 minutes south of Tucson, reported to the police that she had seen two men in a brown Chevrolet and with machine guns, rifles, and knives, with a child who resembled June Robles. Fearing that the trio were heading south to Mexico, the posse were joined by Apache scouts, and they searched the rugged terrain of the border region. But once again, there was no sign of June. But this was actually no surprise, because it turned out that the witness was actually a, you know, tip-line crazy type of person, and she'd made the entire thing up. And uh, she was arrested. Whoops. Uh, two days later, Fernando managed to make contact with the kidnappers and convince them that the police had given up on their search. Uh, according to the Tucson Weekly, he did this not to discredit the local law enforcement, but rather uh, he did this because nothing they had done had worked so far. And he thought that maybe negotiating with the kidnappers was his only option. Uh, we don't know how he managed to communicate and negotiate with them because, you know, he didn't know who had actually taken June, but apparently somehow. Yeah, it's kind of one of those ve very vague, vague things like, oh, he managed to make contact with them. Yeah. Okay, but how? I feel like it's got to be some sort of, like, news paper yeah or like, like kind of thing more child couriers yes or yeah <laughs> carrier pigeon like something like that <laughs> um so on may 7th just 12 days after june was kidnapped tucson's chief criminal deputy oliver white um which <laughs> we assume is a law enforcement position and not the deputy of the town's organized crime rings Criminal. Well, you know, criminal it's a funny deputy. word in chief criminal deputy. <laughs> um, so Oliver White announced that June had been found and that she would be returned to her family within 24 hours. And this followed an alleged sighting of a child matching June's description near the U.S.-Mexico border. 
Oliver White travelled to Sonora, which is the northern Mexican state which borders Arizona, but there was no trace of June in northern Mexico and she was not returned to her parents within 24 hours. Whoopsies. Yeah, jump the gun a bit on that one. A little bit. Uh, June's grandfather, cattle baron extraordinaire Burnaby, meanwhile had also been making trips across the border into Sonora. Uh, initially, it was thought that he was trying to establish if his granddaughter had been seen in the Mexican border state. But things weren't exactly as they seemed. Because they never are. <laughs> it turned out that Burnaby was actually visiting a man named Manuel Gamboa, a psychic who was said to uh, possess supernatural powers. He was known as the Seer of Pitiquito attracting Mexicans from all over the state who were seeking help with their problems. He spent two hours with the renowned psychic, and according to the Tucson Weekly, he kept close counsel with Gamboa after he returned to Arizona. Burnaby was very closely guarded when it came to his trip to Mexico. He didn't give much away, saying only that he hoped his trip would help find little June. Uh... Also on May 7th, the authorities received a further letter from the kidnappers. It was long and rambling and full of threats, which is just what you want. Uh, And at the end of the note, it said, quote, Now, down to business. Your child will be released 48 hours after money is delivered. We are going to shoot straight. We will keep our word. Now or never. X, Y, Z. Obey in all caps, end quote. Uh, okay. Now, now down to business after the long and, and rambling. Yeah. Gotta love it. Um, sure. I'm always suspicious of like long and rambling ransom notes. Same. Because of like Jambonet. Yep. That's what I was thinking of. Mm. It's like, oh, it seems... Really? We are a small foreign faction. That's my favorite part of that ransom note. <laughs> um, that is one of my, like, ultimate true crime cases. And one that we can't ever cover because of legal reasons. Yeah, no, I don't. I also just don't think, like, there's nothing else to say about it. it it's been covered by so many other podcasts, so many YouTubers, so many so many television doc- networks. Like documentaries yeah everything it's just like you can't also you can't beat the made for tv movie uh what is it perfect town perfect murder about it which uh oh. it's good 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 one there highly mm-hmm. recommend so yeah. you know there's that uh anyway yes yeah, so obey um So not only was the note threatening in nature, it had been slipped under the door of the Pima County Courthouse, and nobody had spotted the kidnappers or anything else unusual happening. Apparently they had just walked right up, thrown it under the door, and then walked right away without without any difficulties. So I know this is the nineteen thirties and you know, we didn't have CCTV recording every moment of our lives. But you would think that perhaps somebody would have noticed because the town is on high alert. A, you know, a child of a prominent family has been kidnapped. 
I don't know. Sounds like too much work. Sounds too hard. (laughs) Things went very quiet for a week following White's premature announcement that June had been found near the Mexican border and would shortly be returned to her family. There was no more communication from the kidnappers. The search had been focusing on Sonora after another false lead claimed that June's body would be found at the bottom of an abandoned mine shaft. When Burnaby had been contacting psychics in Mexico, the authorities had been searching the bottom of Mexican mine shafts. Uh, Joaquina Robles, Burnaby's wife, June's abuela, yeah, just slipped that in because I'm learning Spanish, (laughs) uh, had a psychic premonition of her own. Joaquina believed that June was still in the US and in fact was much closer to Tucson. And soon her premonition would come true. On May 14th, Arizona Governor B.B. Moore received a postcard from the kidnappers. The postcard described June's location in the desert, about nine miles outside of Tucson, but it was postmarked in Chicago. Uh, a search effort was quickly launched, led by June's uncle, local attorney, Carlos Robles. I like that they're getting literally everyone involved. Like, you've got yeah. the governor now. Yeah. It's impressive. Um, so the search wasn't exactly an optimistic one. The postcard the governor had received referred to the location of a body covered with cactuses. Should it be cacti? Yes. <laughs> It's fine. We'll just breeze right past that. Um, So (laughs) rather than the location of an actual living person. So. We'll just ignore the fact that I confused the plural of cactus. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This this sounds like a good point to remind everyone we are both dyslexic. Yes. Super a lot. So. Also, though, I just like the I suffix as a a plural. Like, I just use it for everything. So, like, Mm. mattresses become matri. And uh, I don't know what else. Lotuses. Loti. Yeah. It's fun. So, a a fun word game. (laughs) For all you people who are super nerds like me. Um, Right. So Carlos Robles and uh, fellow Pima County attorney Clarence Houston and a team of local patrolmen uh, searched the desert in the specified area for two hours before they discovered a small metal box hidden in the shrubbery. Uh, And when we say discovered it, we mean they tripped over it. Um, and there was a cactus shaped like a cross next to the box. When the box was opened, they discovered that it had been sunk three feet into the sand, and at the bottom of it was June Robles, alive and relatively okay, all things considered. Um, June had spent the 19 days she was missing in the box, handcuffed to an iron stake uh, in the bottom. She had chafing from the handcuffs 
and she had had to make do with a small ceramic pot for a toilet and was obviously dirty considering she'd been in there for like three weeks and she'd been bitten by ants and had uh, heat blisters. This is like Arizona in the middle of... Is this in May by this point? Yeah. Or May, yeah. I mean, I imagine Arizona to be really hot all the time. It is. Well, so Tucson, the deserts of Arizona, yeah. Although, also, at night, it gets really cold. So mm, That's true. You've got yeah. both extremes, temperature extremes here. It's like... Yeah, this is like a metal box. Yeah. It's not good. Uh, food had been passed through a tiny trap door, and the only light and air in the box came through holes, which had been punched through the lid. Uh, The kidnappers had kept June fed for the time she'd been in the box, supplying her with bread and jam, uh, fruit, graham crackers, and potato chips. Uh, June would later tell authorities that the kidnappers had visited her a total of four times during the 19 days she was kept in the metal cage, although it was likely that the kidnappers abandoned June completely, you know, a number of days before she was discovered, especially since the postcard was sent from Chicago, and that they expected June would have died by the time she was discovered. But the main thing June was concerned about when she was pulled from her metal prison was her report card, (laughs) which she had received the day she was kidnapped. She managed to keep it with her during her captivity and was desperate to take it home to show her mother telling the Tucson Daily Citizen, I went back and got it. I wanted my mama to see it. That's so sweet. Yeah. Also, like, she's been locked in a box for 19 days and all she's thinking about is I want my mum to see my report card. I know. She was a nerd. (laughs) Yes. But also, sounds like maybe gonna come out the other side of this okay if you can... You can focus on that after all of that. Yeah. Uh, After being reunited with her family, June was interviewed by authorities and spoke to a few media outlets before her parents insisted that she retreat from the public eye. So information on exactly what she endured is a bit patchy. Before retreating from public view, June told British Pathé News that the kidnappers had threatened her, saying if she cried, they would put a knife in her back. It's not Mm. nice. No, not so nice. Uh, Now that June was safely returned to her family, local attention turned to the authorities uh, as they attempted to find out who had kidnapped June in the first place. And if you were paying attention at the beginning of the episode, which we hope you were, but if you weren't, we'll remind you. uh, We did say this was a story with a happy ending uh, in that June was found and returned to her family. Um, But it does remain unsolved the kidnappers were never actually found. A rumor circulated the Tucson area that John Dillinger and his gang had kidnapped June, but there was no real evidence, and this theory relied entirely on the fact that Dillinger had traveled through Tucson a few months earlier. Uh, a more serious or like credible theory was that Oscar Buster Robson, the owner of a local dance hall, and friend of the Robles family was behind June's disappearance. This theory was based mostly on the similarity between Buster's handwriting and the handwriting on the ransom notes. 
Uh, Buster was arrested and charged with kidnapping, but the charges were eventually dropped because there wasn't enough evidence for a trial. Uh, two men were allegedly brought into a local police station on suspicion of being the kidnappers, but June Robles failed to recognise either of them, and so they were released. And that is all we know about them. Don't have their names or anything mm. like that. Another rumour persisted that the kidnapping was carried out by a disgruntled relative in Mexico, but once again, nothing came of this rumour. Uh, some went further, claiming that it was an inside job, uh, orchestrated by June's immediate family in Tucson, but again, there was no evidence of this, of her family had any involvement whatsoever, both immediate family and more distant relatives back in Mexico. Although June's parents did behave somewhat strangely after the family were reunited. Even back in the 1930s, Hollywood were throwing money at people after traumatic life events, in the hope of making a blockbuster film out of it. And June's kidnapping was no exception. She had offers of a film about her kidnapping, in, uh, which her parents had turned down, but she also had an offer to star in a vaudeville show earning $1,000 a week which is just under $20,000, or uh, £14,500 today. Uh, and this was this role was for her to reenact her own kidnapping. I say, that is about the amount of money you'd have to pay me every week to do that. Yeah, at least. Jesus. But, like, personally, I just find this like really crazy. You're essentially pimping out your daughter to replay her trauma over and over night after night. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a great idea also then, like just if you want to do this which i'm not saying you should <laughs> but if you want to do this like sell the rights so someone can write this vaudeville act and have yeah. someone else perform in it yeah but that's the thing like yeah you want to make some money off it fine fine it, like that life you rights, may as well get it, something out of it. Yeah, but like, not like that. No, no. Uh, so uh, supposedly the Robles had a reason for wanting to send June off on this vaudeville tour. Uh, they said they wanted to put up a fifteen hundred dollar reward for information which could lead to the prosecution of June's kidnappers. Uh, this was because Fernando Robles had received letters from parents across Tucson saying that they were scared to let their children out of their sight because June's kidnappers remained free. Um, however, the family was already wealthy. You know, remember, June's grandfather was the cattle baron of southern Arizona, and they probably didn't need the vaudeville show. To set up a $1,500 reward? No. So, seems weird, but, you know, stuff's weird sometimes. <laughs> it's just a strange going on. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so despite the, the sort of plan, June did not go on to appear in any vaudeville shows or films about her kidnap kidnapping, thank God, uh, and the family retreated from the spotlight. 
Uh, a year and five days after June's rescue, new evidence came to light in the form of a deathbed confession from a local terminally ill man in Tucson. This man, who remains unknown to the general public, implicated three people and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover announced that the case had been solved. Um, but as with other announcements in this case, it was once again premature and the deathbed confession did not lead to any convictions. Um, although, and we've talked about this before, it is worth noting that there's a difference between a case being unsolved and unwinnable in court, or like unprosecutable. So, Yeah, and there's also so many laws around, you know, what you can and can't say in the press. Yeah. So the case could be solved, it just can't be made public for various reasons. Yeah. Uh, the case was reopened again in 1936, and eventually a grand jury was convened, but that in itself was not without its controversy, as jurors began referring to June's ordeal as an alleged kidnapping, rather than an unsolved kidnapping. Uh, the implication at the time was that June had kidnapped herself. Um... Or it had been an inside job and she could not have survived 19 days in the desert. The grand jury ultimately decided that there was not enough evidence to indict anyone and the FBI declared the case closed. I'm sorry, how does someone lock themselves inside a metal box in the desert when they're six years old? And send ransom notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Don't think so, guys. I mean, it's just like, it's like when we talk about like victims of domestic violence and sexual assault and it's all like, oh, well, it could have happened, but maybe, you know, really they're just lying about it. No, this is a small child. It's, she's literally six years old. Like, this isn't something that like every six-year-old does, just no. goes out to the middle of the desert, like miles and miles away from her home. Yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, June's parents removed her from public school and placed her in a Catholic boarding school where she would be under the constant supervision of nuns. Every child's dream. Fun! The cattle baron himself was left incredibly shaken by June's kidnapping, fearing that he might be the next target. Rumours circulated that Burnaby made many enemies with his business dealings. Mm. And he was very slow to provide the FBI with a list of these enemies. <laughs> Uh, with the case being unsolved, he refused to leave his ranch at night. Just became very reclusive. Mm. Uh, the family faded into relative obscurity and June remained largely anonymous until three years after her death. According to her New York Times obituary, June earned a degree in business administration from the University of Arizona and after graduating worked as the school's registrar. Uh, in 1950, she married aircraft factory supervisor Dancy Burt, which is the best name ever, <laughs> I think. Uh, so June and Dancy had three sons named James, Thomas, and Bruce, and a daughter, Barbara. Uh, June developed Parkinson's disease, and on September 2nd, 2014, uh, at the age of 87, she died in Tucson. 
She was survived by her husband, her four children, and five grandchildren. Uh, her family put a death notice in the local Tucson papers under her married name, June Burt. Uh, but there was no national news surrounding her death until 2017. The New York Times learned of her death following an email request from a writer who was researching child abductions for a book. Uh, because the New York Times had covered June's kidnapping widely at the time, and uh, they have a large number of articles in their archives. And actually, I have access to the archives, so I can go find a link if people are interested and put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Well, aren't you fancy? I just like I like the Times Machine archives. They're fun. <laughs> Fair enough. Um. Yeah, and so that is the case of June Robles, uh, the the unsolved child kidnapping with a, a fairly happy ending, all things considered. Yeah. Uh, what can we say about that? Uh, so they never got any money, right? Like the kidnappers? Yeah, there was, there was never any money. So those instructions in some of the ransom notes and her father... And grandfather would just to. drive up and down the highway, yeah, looking for, you know, or you know, finding a meeting point, or they would look for the kidnappers, and there was just no one ever turned up for the money. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, and like, at what point did you? <laughs> so you keep going like that for like weeks. You're like, give us the money. They try to give you the money, and then you don't show up mm. for the money, and then. Just decide, fuck it, let's go to Chicago. I wonder if they were like first time kidnappers and they got like cold feet and they were like, no, 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 we can't do this. Yeah. They were like scared of getting caught. And so they're like, okay, we'll just leave it there and hightail it to Chicago and we'll send a note. It's fascinating. Like, it's really fascinating to me because it doesn't like, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. I'm so curious. yeah, it, it's really weird, and because on the one hand, okay, so they're a very prominent family. Um, from what I understand, it was her grandfather who had the money rather than her parents. Mm-hmm. But still, like, without knowing who did it, there's there's not really a lot we can say. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing too. I guess is interesting. Would it would it'd be interesting to see the FBI files on it because yeah. you know if they kept looking at the case if they reopened the case from time to time like there's so much more information in those files than you know yeah. the, the general public ever would have had access to but it, it's, and that's like that's the thing we always forget when we do this these episodes is like what we have access to as members of the general public yeah is nowhere near the full amount of information yeah oh absolutely and like i feel like especially that time period in that location like there's stuff that, that, that there's stuff that never got put in the official record like as, oh, yeah. especially with high-profile people in the town, in the state, in the country. Like, there's 
there's probably so much more out there that we don't actually know. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. But yeah, that's it's a that's a really interesting case. I'm going to have to yeah. go like read some of the ransom notes and stuff cuz I'm super interested. Yeah, one one thing that I didn't put in the script was so the grandfather Burnby was actually quite reluctant to pay any money. Mm. Because this is also obviously not long after the Limburg baby. Yep. And they handed over the money only to find out that the child was already, was already dead. dead. Yeah. So he was like, nah, not doing it. You know, we're not turning into the Limbergs, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And the family were like, no, we want her back. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to try. And so, yeah, eventually they did make attempts to to hand over the money but the kidnappers were just gone yeah that's fascinating to me well there you go let us know if you've heard of the case what you think about it uh who you think the kidnappers could have been that's the thing that's really wild to me is just just like there's no clue yeah is it that like there was whisperings that it could be john dillinger but yeah. that was literally based on the fact that he had been in the area a few months earlier. Yeah. And like maybe it was this like uh dance hall guy, but maybe it wasn't. So yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. I've said that like 17 times at this point, I think. You have. Oh, sorry. I'm so interesting <laughs> that way. Um yeah, so let us know what you think. Let us know your theories. And if you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on your uh podcast app, especially uh, if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you want to get some cool Square Mile merch, we have a selection of awesome products with cool designs, and you can find those at the uh, link in our show notes or on our website. If you would like to help us cover the costs of making the podcast and help us invest in the future of the show, you can join our Patreon page. Tiers start at just £1 per month. Every patron gets regular regular episodes one day early, a shout out on the show, priority case requests, and a lifetime merch discount. And that's just for £1 a month. As tiers go up, you get even more, including bonus episodes and exclusive merch you can't buy anywhere. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder. Links are in all the usual places. Yep. And uh, we will see you next week yeah. with another episode. See you then. Bye. Bye.